You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, Perth. Welcome to another week of the Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we are talking uh, about a brand new topic again. We've got some new topics recently and this one is for that homeowner and hopefully uh, to pique the interest of the investor as well. Today, we are talking about solar panels, solar technology and how that has and will continue to impact our livelihoods at home and as an investor, hopefully as an investor into the future. The man I want to talk to today is a brand new expert on our show. He's been referred to us by some of Perth's biggest builders. It's Brad Stinson. He's the managing director of Stinson Air. You would have seen his brand, I'm sure, around town over the last years. Someone that I think has got a lot to offer in this space for us today. Brad, thanks very much for coming on. You're welcome, Trent. Brad, as with a lot of suburb spotlights, I like to start with a bit of history. I like to talk about where things started and give us some context. I think my whole life I've seen some level of solar panels since I was very young at an early entrance stage on that first home in the suburb and now we're at a point where nearly every house in a new brand new build has that option to really come in with some level of solar technology, whether it's solar panels or solar hot water. Where did it first start? What were people putting in their homes and what were they paying for it? What was the situation? Yeah, well, it's obviously been around for a long time, but I guess going back five, ten years and further, it was quite an expensive technology. So it was really early adopters and it necessarily didn't make financial sense for everyone going back. What were they getting in? Was it the same the reason that you buy the brand new iPhone you want to have it be a part of it or was there actually a financial benefit? A lot of it's um, wanting to say sort of up yours to the power company. They wanted to do the right thing by the environment and they want to be that early adopter as well as they see the long-term benefits. It's just back then it, it was a long-term payback depending on the year. It might have been seven, ten plus years to get your money back. That's but, a lot longer than a lot of people even stay in their house, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So a lot less adoption back then. I can give you a great example. Uh, a good mate of mine put solar system on his roof in Broome up in the Kimberleys 10 years ago. It was a five kilowatt normal size system. It cost $75,000. Jeez. That system today, you know, $5,000. Yeah, um, wow. There were some big rebates and different, you know, set up back then, but that's how far we've come because it is a technology and a resource. The price just has continued to drop and, uh, and become more affordable and that payback period just keeps getting better and better. The industry has also increased massively. One thing I would pose to you as a reality, even for me, Brad, is there was especially a time in the boom where every second spam phone call I would get would be from someone selling solar panels from somewhere trying to tell me about their rebates and the government rebates. Can you give us any, a bit of an idea? I'm sure the listeners would rem- remember this. It's, it's quietened down a bit these days. But what was going on in that market? It seems like every man and his dog were installing solar panels for a couple of years. Yeah, so we haven't been in the solar game. You know, my business is 25 years old and we haven't been in solar for that whole journey. It's you know started in air conditioning. But... Going back, you know, a lot of people refer to the industry as the solar coaster because it has been up and down. There's been government intervention in and out and it's been a real tough industry and there's a lot of businesses that folded along the way because of just um, regulations changing and, you know, inferior products and, and all sorts of issues. So, yeah, I think it was when we first heard that term, it was, it was pretty apt, the solar coaster that's always been ups and downs. Um, with that sort of cold calling, I know there's been some changes to sort of laws about how much you can you know impose on people's privacy so that slowed down we've never played in that space it's not how we go about it they're still a part of that in our industry today but uh, probably not a part you'd recommend your listeners to go to you'd rather get a custom custom design solution to suit someone's lifestyle and energy use exactly right 
Do you have any idea as to what the average solar panel setup would be these days in terms of kilowatts? People, It's really hard to understand what that means. But when we're talking to a consultant about what their home should be set up with to service their home, what's a normal home looking at these days as a package compared to what it used to be? These days, the most popular system is a five kilowatt inverter. Now, we can put extra panels on that, so we can have up to 6.6 kilowatts of panels on a five kilowatt inverter. And that's where we cap out. Once you go beyond that, you lose your feed-in tariff. So for that reason, a lot of your average four by two homes in the suburbs, that's the perfect solution. They may want a little bit bigger, but it doesn't really make financial sense if you only need a fraction bigger. If you want to start going into eight, 10 kilowatt bigger on these large homes or small commercial buildings, then you consider going to that next size. But because we lose a feed-in tariff at that size of the 6.6 kilowatts panels on five, it's really become the most popular model. Going back five, 10 years, often it was a three kilowatt. Before that, it might have been a 1.52. And that was just because of price point. You know, people back then still often would have needed three, four, five kilowatt, but often they were putting in one and a half, two because they were paying seven or eight grand or, or more for a tiny little system and they couldn't justify spending any more, but they wanted to dip their toe. Explain to me what a feed-in tariff is. Basically, um, you're getting money back through your electric. Your rebate. Yeah, your rebate back. So, you know, I think we're paying something like, you know, consumers paying 29 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, but when we put electricity back onto the grid, you get paid, you know, roughly seven cents a kilowatt hour. So it's not very even. Uh, they do a lot better out of it than we do. But at least you are getting something for when you're producing excess production. And I'll give you a good example. We've done some jobs for clients with holiday homes um, in, in the southwest. And they're a great example of utilising the feed-in tariff. Because when, they're not using a lot of electricity, there, but they're yeah, producing a lot. You're making, making, making. You're yep. making money when you're not there. Then when the family goes down and enjoys their home, then they, you know, pay for it then. But they just get some crazy low bills because they're, you know, you're taking advantage of that feed-in tariff. So if you're not at your holiday home for uh, September and October, and then you come in in December and use some power, does that sort of roll over like a mobile phone bill? No, no, no rolling over. <laughs> um, and How does it work? Would it, would, does it not balance out? You know, you're going to be a lot better off in the long run. So, you know, a lot of these people are, are getting better than 30% return on their money, maybe 50% return on their investment. So they're doing very well. But obviously, when you go down there with the family and running air conditioning systems or cooking at night time, whatever, if, you're, if the sun's not shining and you're using electricity, you're paying for it. Let's talk about battery technology now. Everyone's heard of Elon Musk. We all know what Tesla's up to. I think everyone's excited about it. I think it's, it sounds like the future for us, not having to rely on the dirtier or even more expensive is what may, a lot of people might be more focused on, technologies for having power. We're hearing the power wall has come into Australia. It's hit a couple of homes here and there, a couple of businesses. Can you give us an update, not on a technical level, but where are we at with that? How far away are we from everyone having a power wall in their new home that's built? Okay, yeah, so there's quite a few options in the battery technology and Tesla sits in that mid to high category, quality of product. There's some stuff that, you know, some people would put on a pedestal slightly higher and then there's some cheaper stuff. It's getting a lot more traction, you know, on the East Coast and even in some other countries where there's a bit more government rebates and incentives. We haven't got that in WA yet. There are people whispering that that may happen soon. So we are getting great attraction in other areas and it will come and it's it's obviously a cost. It's it, it comes down to that return on investment. The technology's there, it's fantastic technology and it's now it's the return on investment. So if solar, we're seeing people now getting a return on investment of you know, 30% or, you know, paying their system off in three years. We have some clients paid off in two years and some even less than that. But with battery technology, it can be six or seven years for one of these cheaper batteries that haven't been out for the, even the life of their warranty yet. So we're still a bit wary. And then some of the more premium products might be a 10 plus year payback. So 
that is a long-term view that homeowners out there have to take on if they're going to put batteries, but that price is going to continue to come down. So we've just seen, we've just actually become an authorised seller of Tesla just recently. Um, we're selling that as well as a couple of other products. We are starting to quote more and more and put you know, more and more of these systems in, but it's still small numbers. But we have just seen some further pricing decreases with some of our products. And for me, I think it's heavily linked to the electric vehicle market. So obviously, once again, with Tesla and with others, there's obviously a big push. A lot of people talking, you know, 2025, you know, nearly all car manufacturers are going to be producing EV vehicles in their ranges. Then we're mass producing batteries and surely that has to have a flow on with the benefits of the economics of what they're going to be digging out of the ground and WA a big part of that to make these batteries cheaper. So that's my personal opinion. But I would think that with the escalation of EV vehicles, electric vehicles, we're going to see and the escalation of you know batteries in the home that the pricing should continue to get better and, and make that return on investment a bit like what we did with solar. It's going to keep coming down and if we get some government incentive to help support the grids and that as well, then it'll come down even further like it is on the East Coast. Is the point here that we're all trying to end up off the grid? Is that what a battery is going to do for us? No, we get asked that question quite a lot. And in a residential case, no, you're not actually allowed to disconnect from the grid. And it would be unwise too to disconnect from the grid because you wouldn't want to put in a battery system that is well oversized so that if you have a week of cloudy weather, that it's still going to support you. So the smart way is to still be connected, but just minimise it. And a good design battery system is going to make you 90, 95% autonomous or, or basically reduce your bill by 90, 95%, which is, which is massive. We've spoken obviously just then about that rise in technology of the early emergence of the battery. Are we at a precipice in terms of the solar technology? Is it pretty much hit a, a level of uh, diminishing returns or are we still really low in terms of that life cycle where there's, no, there's still a lot more to be gained in terms of prices and efficiencies? This will probably answer another one of your questions at the same time, but in solar we have the STC credits. So say a system that Mrs. Smith down the road might purchase, it might purchase for $5,000, maybe that system's more like about $8,000, but there's a few thousand dollars in credit that, that we're getting from assistance through a government scheme. Now, that is a diminishing scheme. So it's been going for a few years now, and it's 15 years. So I think we've got another 12 years, and January 1 every year, it reduces by 1 15th. So what that means is obviously the price of solar is going up a little bit, but at the same time, the technology keeps improving and, and coming down a bit. So we haven't really seen prices going up because the technology you know, keeps getting better. So we shouldn't see it get much better because of the fact that we are losing that small bit of rebate every year. But okay. it, should, it should balance itself out. All right. So yeah, that brings me into that pricing point there. The first question I would ask is, just generally, what is after that STC credit, that government rebate, someone paying for a normal solar installation set up right now? Is it about five grand? Yeah, I think five grand is a good amount, depending, it's give or take, you know, single phase, three phase, single story, two story, and then quality of the product. Um, but it's a good benchmark, The you know, $1,000 a kilowatt. There is cheaper out there and there's more expensive. But, you know, I always say to people, it's like anything, quality counts, And but it's one of those things, it's sort of the more you spend, the more you you save. It's not just a higher quality, it's a better return because A, it may be a better producer of electricity for you, but also it's going to be around longer. So rather than re replacing that system in another 
seven or eight or 10 years, that system may be producing well in 15 or 20. So I'd be very wary about trying to save that last $1,000 going from five to four, especially when you consider my, my mate I spoke about earlier that put one in in Broome for $75,000. So I certainly wouldn't uh, be concerned about that last $1,000. I would, I would recommend to anyone to do it properly. So the idea product. is that we're paying off, hopefully, in about three years, plus or minus a year, and then you've got another good 10 years of payback, really, on that saving you, what is it at the moment, at 30% of your costs, it sounds like? Yeah, so if someone's you know, spending $4,500 and getting a 30% return or you know, a 33% return, they're you know, $1,500 a year off their bill. So like I often say to people, if you've got a financial planner, then and if they can get you a 30 40, 50% return on your money, well, I think you'd invest it there. And and that's what you're getting out of solar. So it's a, it's a fantastic investment. If you are going to be in your home for at least two years, then you're going to have got most of the payback already, plus you've added value to your home. So I think you're in front. So people, are, people are valuing that these days, I think. I think finally we're at a point now where having solar panels installed on that list of specs, people are noticing it to some degree. I don't think they cared five, ten years ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, obviously if there's two houses for sale in the same street and they're both the same price, one's got solar power and has a much cheaper power bill than the neighbour next door, that's got to help with the sale. So you know, I think it's, it is a big factor. Brad, one thing I'm concerned about, uh, just out of, I guess, practicality in the future is... We all are on uh, solar panels. We've all got the batteries and we're all saving 90% of our electricity by making it ourselves and retaining it ourselves. However, the state government still has a infrastructure bill that needs to be paid for by the two and a half million people that live here. And how do they do that? Well, they have to either reduce the rebate that they send back to us, the tariff that they send back to us on a, on a monthly basis, or they start jacking up those uh, supply charges uh, on the bill as well. Uh, what do you see happening in that space? Like, I just can't under- I can't imagine a situation where we're not paying for it in some way to be able to keep the streetlights on. Yeah, well, I know, you know, we've got an ageing grid, so I know that there is incentive for Western Power to have more batteries installed. Uh, it's a very complex area. Some of it's above my pay grade, but, you know, I, you know, I think people power is going to win. They can't just jack up prices too much. And... Um, you know, people more and more people are just going to go over to this and be less reliant on the feed-in tariffs and the like. So, we spoke before about that five kilowatt model, um, and you know, you can max out with six and a, six point six kilowatts worth of panels. But still, plenty of people, especially with larger homes, are going well. Stuff that I don't care about the feed-in tariff. I'm going to put ten kilowatt in. You know, a massive solar array. That's what I put on my house. A nice big, big as I could fit. And, um, and and I'm ready for batteries. I'm going to put them on my house this year, in fact. So at the very least, you'll be ahead of the curve and you won't be missing out by having both increases in the supply charges to cover that and not saving anything by not having solar. Yeah, so I don't get my feed-in tariff, but on a typical day for myself, when the sun's shining, I can have a pool running, an air conditioner running, and I don't pay for electricity from 6am to 6pm on a, on a summer's day because yep. everything I'm producing is more than covering what I'm needing. So we're going to see more and more people doing that. And also, we're going to see more and more people being a lot more aware of their energy use through some of the analytics of your energy use that's available out there to tack onto these systems. Brad, let's talk future technology. One of the biggest bugbears I have is seeing a beautiful mansion in whatever suburb it is, fantastically built, French provincial or bungalow style or whatever it is, and then on the front pitch of that house, an array of these, to be frank in my opinion, ugly solar panels. That just kills it. And some of these are just ridiculously spread over a great area of that roof. And you think, well, 
clearly that's been put there for optimization of, of I guess, Northern Light. Correct. And you think, oh, why couldn't they have just put on the back of the house, you mm. know? How do you get around that in the future? Is there any technology that's going to allow us to not have to have the frontage of our property, the elevation of our property, dominated by less than attractive panels? Yeah, uh, good question. There's certainly a lot of people that will make the decision that they don't want them on those beautiful homes because of that. And, you know, I understand that. They're not the prettiest thing, but, but they are getting sleeker and, you know, and for the darker roofs, which isn't always recommended because it just adds to the heat load on, yes. your, on your house, but there is some sleek dark panels that really fit in well with the house. Obviously, in any case, we'll always try and look at options, maybe an east-west scenario and, and avoid using that north facing if the, if the house faces north. So in most cases, we can avoid it, but there are going to be cases where it can't be avoided and then the, the homeowner's got a decision. Do I want to put up with that or not? Um, in the future, you know, maybe there's tile options and, and different things, but French provincial house, I still don't think they're going to have terracotta looking uh, tiles that solve that. <laughs> so I don't think we're ever going to get completely away from it, but you know, let's do what we can to make it discreet. And also there are some areas, in, like, especially in some Western suburbs areas where you're not allowed to put it on like a front elevation to keep the streetscape appeal looking nice. You mentioned those tile panels there, and that's a Tesla sort of product concept idea, right? Yeah, I believe it's a concept. I don't believe it's been produced yet. Personally, I think it'd be a long way away from being mainstream in WA. You know, we have a lot of colour bond roofs. And even in the top end homes, we have a lot of homes with a flat or skillion roof. Personally, I've got a skillion roof. It's only a few degrees facing south. My panels face south. It's the worst option, you know, that I had, but it's all I could have. And they still produce very well. And, but like I say, getting back to your question, on a lot of these homes, you can't see the panels. So, you know, why would you pay what I think would be a premium to having to hook in power basically to everyone? Every panel or every group of, of tiles, sorry. Um, so watch and see, I think, on that one. It's a cool idea and probably as cool as some of those Tron-like cars that go through the concept shows every year with the big companies. Just on the future, you asked me about that. I, I really think a trend going forward is going to be larger systems on houses and to go back to an earlier chat electric vehicles so people are going to start buying them and then they're going to want to charge their cars so when we talked about that five kilowatt system we're probably you know the data i'm getting is people are probably going to want more like a nine kilowatt system and so to allow we, for the battery of the yeah, car as well so we want to charge the battery in the car and then even some if you've got le leftover charge in your car you'll be able to use that to top up your house so the, the ev is going to become a very big part of it and electric char you know ev charging stations in houses we're already starting to quote and put in put those in a couple of developments and people's homes. Um, so I think that's a big part. And when we need to put nine kilowatt on a roof, but houses are getting smaller, real estate of that roof space is shrinking. So how do we do that? And through the technology, again, panels just keep getting more wattage per panel. So not that long ago, you get a 175 watt panel. Now we have panels over 400 watts. So you're gonna see in the future, you know, four or 500 watt panels. So we need less panels to get on a roof as people want bigger systems because they're gonna be wanting to... to uh, so I just thought I'd finish with that. I think that's that. the answer. I think that's a great answer to a lot of the questions I've asked you today that are challenges facing people when their their purchase decision is uh, in the future, just like with a hard drive and a computer, I guess, you're going to be packing more for less size. Yeah, exactly. Brad Stinson, thank you very much for coming in and chatting about solar panels and that technology. I look forward to having you in to have a chat about air conditioning. You're welcome. Thank you, Trent. Okay, suburb spotlight time now. We are talking about North Beach, one of my favorite suburbs in the inner northern beach region, I guess. Um, some of my mates' favourite suburbs to hang out on the weekend, especially in the nice warmer months. The one guy we can talk to about this is North Beach's number one agent, has been for a while. Recognisable name, it's Phil Pope. Thank you very much for coming in, mate. 
Trent, you're welcome. You are speaking to uh, somebody who does love North Beach intimately. I live there, work there, invest there. Love to have a chat about it. Good. We've got a real suburb man, someone who has built his lifestyle around that North Beach lifestyle. Tell us what that lifestyle is. Probably don't know. I'm a country boy originally and we came up here when I was relatively young but still had the old country instincts and, uh, and grounding and I've always had the inner groundings of a country boy right from young as I grew and when I came to North Beach it was probably the closest thing that I could find in terms of a, a local suburb that I could really resonate with. It was like a little country town on the coast. So it was relaxed? It was very relaxed. You can walk along the coast with your dog and you look people in the eye and you say hello and people know that you you mean the hello. It's not just a, a passing by comment. It's it's a place where people look after each other. Phil, you've got some more history for me, I'm sure. This this suburb goes back a lot further than your 50 or so years on the planet. Give us some early days information. I love speaking about that side. Way back in the early 1800s, actually, it was uh, used as pastoral land. So there was a family, the Hammersley family, that originally used the land to feed their stock. But it wasn't sand dunes? No, it wasn't sand dunes. There was obviously some sand dunes uh, close to the coast area, but no, it was very salt bush, a lot of bushland area. There's Star Swamp through there, which is 96 hectares of, uh, of A-class reserve. So what's 96 hectares? What's that, 960,000 yeah. square metres? Do you imagine if we can convert that to, to sublots, we <laughs> think I'd be run out of town. Yeah, so. exactly. But it is A-class, so nobody's going to touch it. But it's a beautiful, beautiful area that they used for, for pastoral land. And uh, the old castle hotel, Mr. Mr. Hammersley built his house up on the hill there and he called it his castle uh, or the castle. And then about 75 years later, or sorry, 100 years later, that was, that was demolished and the, uh, the actual castle hotel was built there. And that lasted for about 75 years, and eventually they demolished that in early 1990s. And uh, What's sitting on that site today? Roughly 24 townhouses sitting on that site right now. So good and bad. I remember when Isn't I was young, I'd sneak into the castle, into the pool room, play some pool with my mates, and I don't think you needed ID back then. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so, especially in North Beach, out in the outskirts of what would be dense suburbia back then. Pretty amazing, amazing time. And hence, it is a, a very much that cultural country town where there are still a lot of the old farmers that, that are still living there today. With their old beach shacks. With their old beach shacks, yeah. Few yeah. and far between still, but uh, yeah. evidence, evidence still even on West Coast Highway today. Oh, absolutely. In the old Star Swamp that we talked about, they used that area as a uh, camel quarantine. So talking about Christmas Island being the, the, the talk of the town today, uh, Star Swamp was actually a quarantine area for for camels that were coming in from overseas to be used during our gold rush. So that would have been back in the late, late 18, 1890s. Well, there's a million of them running around the, re the rest I of the country these days. They've so been, uh, they may have populating been very well. By North Beach. A whole number of good looking camels out there. Yeah. So they've, uh, <laughs> they've, been, they've been growing in numbers. Do you have to surf to enjoy that suburb? If you do surf, you'll actually enjoy the suburb less because the surf in Perth is pretty ordinary. <laughs> but we do have some great surf breaks. I'm a surfer. I've been surfing probably 40 odd years and I love my surfing. And that did initially draw me to the North Beach area, North Beach Trig area. And we do have arguably the best beach breaks in Perth Metro. But no, there's so much more available in North Beach that can float your boat, so to speak, on this coast. And you know, you've got the culture, the the fishing, the swimming bays, the the cafes. It's got a real coffee culture strip These along days, the North Beach area. It's a very popular uh, little strip, I guess, along West Coast Highway, where you see uh, cars lined up for days and people lined up for days to get their coffee on a Saturday, Sunday morning. Yeah, it is. It is a a real coffee culture. Seems it's... recent though, unless I've missed it. 
when I was a lot younger, it seems like the last five years especially, it's become cool to hang out in North Beach. Yeah, you've got um, 96 Express, which is actually my reception at our office, which is why we moved to the front of the North Beach Shopping Centre there. So I actually have views looking straight out over Tom's surf break. Great. So we've got a little surf cam set up there, which will make live so people can stream it soon. It'll be the best surf cam in town. But uh, 96 degrees around on Flora Terrace, obviously North Beach Deli down there um, near Trig Pizza there, and uh, and Yellow. So we've got some really good coffee available to us now, whereas I guess 15, 20 years ago, we didn't really have great coffee available. Pretty close to Hillary's as well. A lot of people who just walk from North Beach straight into Hillary's, ride their bike. It's so busy along that, that cycleway, on, especially on the weekends. It's a beautiful track along there. It is. It's a great way to burn a few calories without knowing that you're doing so. It's, a, it's, it's the most beautiful coastline that we have in Perth Metro. And I know I'm a little bit biased towards that. But I would I, agree. That yeah, stretch I'd, especially. As would a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. Sports as well. You've got some great sporting facilities, great sporting clubs in North Beach. And it has been proven. Factually. Strong, strong clubs. Yeah, very strong. North Beach Footy Club is very strong. The rugby club is very strong. The soccer club is big. Yep. Little athletics. There's the soccer, the cricket, the bowls, um, the North Beach Tennis Club. I'm the major sponsor down there, and I'm a sponsor, major sponsor of the North Beach Little Athletics Club as well. They're personal sponsorships of mine. Um, so I really like to invest back into the community that's been so good to me over all these years. But yeah, it is a very healthy culture down in North Beach. You know what's also amazing? The houses along West Coast Highway in North Beach. There seems to be a new mega mansion being put under construction every time I pop back down to that highway. Have you seen, I guess, a trend, especially when construction prices have been so low in the last few years, for people to start reinvesting their money back into those big construction projects and really reinvigorating what is now becoming a bit of an upper-class lifestyle the closer you get to that that coastline. It is, and prices reflective. The closer you do get to the coast, the higher per square metre the land becomes. And so it's a really difficult one to gauge what a square metre rate is in North Beach or Trigger Watermans for that matter. And it is probably the most common question that I do get is what's the square metre rate of land? And it depends upon where it is, how close to the coast does it get an aspect, can it be built out, how undulating is it, um, how close to the, the local amenities is it, et cetera, et cetera. Some of these mansions, when I, they're in construction, I have to sit back and wonder, is that one mansion or three or four apartments? And I think the answer, answer normally is it is one residence. Correct. We've, there's one going up at the moment, corner of Malcolm and West Coast. It's uh, This is the one I'm referring to right now. It is a stunning yeah. home. It was a lot of concerns in the community that it was going to be tea rooms and there was going to be nowhere for parking. But no, it is a single residence. It is. And it's a... <laughs> Well, it's at the age where a lot of the residences around the North Beach area were originally built back in the 1940s as really a holiday shack. Surf shacks? Yeah, there's a few of these shacks still around. I sold one last year, which was one of the most original homes built in North Beach. It was uh, mid-1940s. I actually had the daughters of the original owner who built the home come through the house on day one. And it was quite surreal because they themselves were about 70 years of age and going through just explaining how original nearly everything in this house was. What I'm trying to get at with this line of questioning is demonstrating that whilst North Beach for many people, especially 50 years old and up, would remember it to be more of that northern suburbs, coastally surf shack sort of lifestyle, it really has come into the fore now of being in that trig space where mega homes, multi-seven-figure properties are being constructed 
and sold, people are paying for them. And as a ripple effect to that, you've got now, especially with zoning allowing for side-by-side construction, a lot of very expensive, very nice homes bringing in a change up of the guard i guess on socioeconomics in the suburb look it is there have been a lot of these parcels of land that have been sitting there with the derelict homes on them for years and years and years and at some stage it was going to happen and you are right trent the building costs have sort of plateaued a while to make a little bit more affordable to build in the current market i'm not too sure if i'd be building to to flip a home to make money at the moment but it certainly does give opportunities for people to build these beautiful homes right along this coastal stretch and take advantage of what we've got to offer. It's not all that expensive though. I personally, one of my best mates, bought into a complex that we found out earlier. You bought as your first property uh, purchase 20 something years ago as well. And and that was in the mid 400s for a townhouse. So it is still accessible, especially to that young first homeowner looking to enjoy that lifestyle as well. Oh, look, absolutely. One of the one of the things I always tell people when they are looking at buying in North Beach is it's people buying this area not because of the dwelling. They're not buying bang for the buck for the actual dwelling that they'll live in because you can do that on the other side of Miami and Avenue and get a far better home for the same price. But what you are buying is that lifestyle. So your friend who's bought on Beeson Street there, it is an absolute lifestyle in there. And as you mentioned, it is part of the complex of where I first bought my very first property. And it was just a massive lifestyle. It was some of the best years of my life. And that was purely from what was around, what, uh, what I had available to me to, to live. The people in the area, the places to go, the things to do, all the accessibility to everything that I loved. It's an area that you come to, to get healthy. How do they go as an investment though? Long term, North Beach area has always fared quite well. Having said that, it hasn't grown over the last 10 years. It's, I think it's running at about a 0% growth rate since then. But that's more to do with the, on the back end of what happened in 06 to 07 when we had 30% growth through there in one year. It was totally unsustainable. And then we had the subprime crash and the GFC occur when it was the September of 08 era. And things really came back about 10% overnight and graduals ups and downs from there. For a long term, there's a lot of areas where you're still getting 3 to 4% return on investment. And people, as I mentioned earlier, they come to this area not to get a return on investment necessarily, but to get a return on lifestyle. What I'm also hearing out of that too is that whilst prices haven't gone up in the last 10 years, which is the, the anecdote for most, on an average, most of Perth, to be frank, which is, so it's not out of the scope there. It has definitely, in terms of a qualitative return, the amenities in the last 10 years have gone through the roof. In terms of the quality of cafes, the lifestyle that is coming through, uh, obviously the quality of houses coming through. If you had bought in 2007, compared to buying today and you can get it for the same price and that much more fun going on in the area, I'd say it's a good buy. Look, absolutely, Trent. It's When we look at is it a good investment, two people buying investments in general, those that want the best rent return that they can get, so return on their investment, and the others that don't necessarily need that great rent return or return on investment, but they want that behind-the-scenes capital growth. And you bang on, it is some of the best times to buy North Beach right now because of you've saved yourself 10 years' worth of interest rates mm. to buy into this prime location and get this capital growth that we're actually currently seeing right now. Let's talk about those price points. How cheap can I buy into North Beach? You can get two-by-one units in the 300s right now. So single story, single story, two by one villas, sort of late three hundreds. You can get into the area, yep, and and that's fairly close to the coast as well. 
You go to the back end of North Beach and there's still some, some good buying in the 300s also, where you get a little bit more dwelling, but you are further from the coast. Okay, let's step it up in a price point. Uh, 400s, you can still get predominantly just your two by ones. Okay, Occasionally so better get, quality. Yeah, look, again, back end, there's an R30 zone of North Beach up towards Marmion and Ave. And that's, uh, it's an R30 zone. So you, you can still get some of the original three by one homes on there built in the, the late 1960s. And you can pick those up in the 400s. Okay, fantastic. Now let's move into more of a family home, not newly built on some sizable land. What are we paying for that? Yeah, look, the average size through North Beach is 506, which is a half a quarter acre. So most of the blocks that were cut up way back in the day were the 1,012 square metres, which is the quarter acre. And most of those now have been subdivided. So when the town planners came through, they've done a whole stack of these 506 square metre lots. So that's the average block through most of North Beach area. And if you go to a fairly quiet side street, your, your 506 square metre block is normally around between seven to 800 thousand for the land and depending on what the dwelling is on top okay so we're starting to really hit a price point now aren't we it seems like there's a bit of a gap there from getting in as a first home buyer to then coming back as a family with a couple of young kids you're probably up in that high 100,000s early mills yeah you are again still good buying though because back in 2006 you for a, a 1968 three by one asbestos clad home it was costing you in the high high eights to to mid eights that sort of range now so you can pick that type of thing up for around the 800 mark okay and the idea is you're knocking this down to build your family home on top right a lot of these old three by ones were built on the old limestone foundation so those that did have a, uh, a brick and tile build back then they are mostly being used for renovations, a little okay. bit of an extension and, uh, and reno. They're beautiful homes. Your, your 2.7 to 3 metre high ceilings, your nice ornate cornicing. And People are keeping those. Yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. They rip up the old carpets that have been there since 1968, pre-Meckering earthquake. And, yep. and it's got about 27 mils of skin cells laid on upon layer. Yep. But you take that out and there's this pristine timber boards i see a lot of these newer two-story side-by-side developments going up there as well those things got to be when i look at those they're in early to mid mills yeah so with the with the 506 lots that they've got uh, now survey strata they're building these beautiful two-story four by two homes that seems to be where the suburbs going for me is that being that median really of where people would expect to be buying product a few people have come to me, even just in friend circles, saying, Trent, this is the sort of property I'm looking for and this is the lifestyle I'm looking for and it is that $1.3 to $1.5 million buy of a two-storey, four-by-two or three-by-two with a theatre on 500 square metres. Maybe there's views, maybe there's not, but they're right there for the lifestyle and, and that's really, for me, where that suburb's price point as a medium will continue to head as those older units peter out. Uh, get to get maybe converted again into something new. There's a lot of land on those old 60s and 70s townhouse complexes. Yeah, there is. And and you're right. The one two to one five price point for a lovely 4 by 2 in that North Beach area is so sought after and rare. So they don't last long on the market if they're priced correctly. How high have you seen it go? Uh, look, the most recent high sale would be one on the corner of James and West Coast that recently sold for so 6.125. Lazy 6 mil? Lazy six. They don't come up that often though. Not that often. Generally, these these homes are built long-term for families. Yep. All right, let's talk subdivision as we do every week. We've already spoken about it really. We've already referenced what the major strategy is in this suburb. That's cutting up the quarter acre, isn't it? It is. Yeah, there are two, broadly speaking, there's two zones in North Beach. There's an R20 zone, which is the, the dominant 
area of North Beach and then you've got a, a little back end little pocket which is sort of bound by Charles Riley Reserve, North Beach Road and Marmion Ave and that's so the an back R- end? Yeah, so that's an R30 zone so that's sort of the most distant part from of North Beach from the coast. So most of those blocks in that back end are 728 square metres, so they can be subdivided, whether it be battle axe or side by side, if they're lucky enough to have a, an 18 plus metre frontage. Um, side by side is the preferred, but that is definitely happening quickly, quick as ever. How much are we paying for those development sites and how often are they coming up? Yeah, back end of North Beach, they, they range. Probably the cheapest would be about 650 if it really backs on, almost fronts on to Marmion Ave. Average would be around about in the mid sevens to, to a high seven for a 728 block with a bowl over dwelling on it. That could be rented out whilst during the development phase. Um, and then so we're paying just over a thousand bucks a square metre for a development site at the back of North Beach yep. at R30. Obviously, that, that zoning, the strategy is we can only really turn them into two. Correct. We're trying to go for a side by side. And what are, what are people generally putting on these things? Depending upon how far back the properties are. So there is a demand for single level homes through the area because when people get into North Beach, they tend to shuffle. So they get here and they tend to not move to another suburb, but they would rather move from to another street. And once they've been here for 30, 40 years, they want to stay. It's their home, it's their town. And and they don't want the, the two-storey home on a large block that they have to maintain. So they, they would dearly love to find something which is single level, three by two. So the downsizes we're talking about here. Yeah, it's a sought-after product. We've got 12, at this stage, we've got some planning in at the moment for approval for 12 over 55s on Charles Riley, which is a part of that R30 zone. So that actually views has views over Charles Riley Reserve. What are we normally paying for those single-storey Three by twos, I guess you'd say. The new single story three by twos, they could range anywhere from mid fives to mid fives to early sevens. Okay. And I guess you also see a lot of these two story townhouses as well. Yep. They hit in the mill mark? Yeah, some are in the R thirty zone. Yeah, definitely so. Some of the ones that have been spec'd up really nicely, they are getting to the mill if not a very low mill. All right, so clearly that is a pretty simple strategy there. Running those numbers on the back of the envelope in my head, I'm not seeing it as being a super profitable outcome but more i guess a strategy for a lot of people to buy in deleverage and have their lifestyle without the backyard as a lot of ways as well that brother and sister developer i referenced recently where two people might even be coming together to buy that block and have one each yeah seeking that location but not wanting to have that million dollar mortgage oh look it's a great opportunity for some friends or family members to buy one of these subdivisible, potential subdivisible blocks, whether it be the, the 1,000 squares or 900 squares in the R20 zone or a 728 and an R30 and then do the subdivision themselves and, and be able to choose your neighbour for once. Yeah, very much so. All right, let's talk about median house price. What is it? Median house price has actually dropped down. It's now in 830, okay. which is about the lowest it's been for a long time. Does that reflect a level of volume at the lower first home buyer end or does it reflect an actual dropping in structural prices? Yeah, more to do with what type of property has been has been selling. And we talked earlier, Trent, about these quarterly figures that we bring out and they really can be quite misguiding yes. with Especially what the results coast. are. Yeah. We've had quarters where it's, it's been shown that either Trigger North Beach has had a 30-odd percent growth rate 
since like this time last year and yeah. we know that's not true so it depends upon what actually sells in that quarter if you have that in your pocket what would phil pope buy today i would buy something on a 506 block in as nice an area in north beach give us the street that you'd ideally like to be buying with that money See, I live on Shoal Ave, which yep. is perpendicular to West Coast Drive. Just uh, at the end of our street, you've got Medham's Pool and North Beach Deli, Trick Pizza. It's a great spot, nice wide street. Probably wouldn't get the property that you want for 8 8.30 or 8.50 in that street but just over the hill you can get some 506 blocks around Chrysostom, Kitchener, Arnott Street, back ends of, of Beechton and, and Hammersley Street, fantastic locations. Again you can still end up with a nice brick tile home on 506 square metres that you can renovate and keep for another 5-10 years and work out what you want to do with it later down the track. There it just is. Just get into the area. So it's a passive land play for the purpose of building that dream home at some point when you can uh, get some more cash behind you after paying for that block in the first place. People that come into the area they feel as they need to have the house and land from day one. They come in with great ideas. They buy these old old late 1960s homes and they come in saying, Phil, we're going to knock this wall out, extend here, do this, do that. And I'll just say, just move in, live there for a while. And I'll see them in two years and they haven't done anything other than paint and recarpet. And that's it. They just said, Phil, we get it. Well, hopefully they don't spend that much time in their house. They're out on the beach the that's whole time. Exactly that's exactly right. That's the point, right? Yep, that's exactly right. Phil Pope, thank you very much for coming in to chat. One of my favourite suburbs in Perth. And I think a growing number of people's interested suburb in Perth. I think if you did a look at the relative number of searches on realestate.com, for example, maybe 10 years ago to now, I'm pretty sure that that growth rate, given that increased lifestyle and that pop culture of a place like North Beach, uh, would be pretty high so it looks like you're in the right place as the top agent in north beach please come back and grab number one and a couple of other places around town as well it's been a really good chat good on you Trent. thanks for having me thank you for listening to another episode of the perth property show if you've only just joined the conversation you can catch up by heading over to our website perthpropertyshow.com.au subscribing to the podcast or joining our facebook page Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!